Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, if you would, please open up your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we got Bibles in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. We want you to make, make sure you got God's Word in your hand, so feel free to get up and take that home. As you turn to Matthew chapter 5, let me review. Uh, we have really spent the last month or so discussing some pretty personal topics within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has preached on murder and anger, marriage, adultery, and divorce. And uh, as we were talking about divorce last Sunday, I want you all to know that I could feel the anxiety in the room. Um, many of you know my story. My story involves adultery and divorce as well, so I can relate to the tension last Sunday. Um, however, you know, by the time that we were done, I pray that you have a deeper appreciation for uh, the, the, really the mysteries of marriage, and that's what we really wanted to focus on uh, last Sunday. A couple key points from last Sunday to get everybody caught up on the same page here. We said, number one, that there is no expiration date on marriage, right? As Christians, we know that monogamy is, that's not our only goal. Our goal is purity, internally and externally, to live a pure life. Number two, we talked about the hardness of the heart and how that leads to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is incompatible with the gospel, Right? Jesus, he taught us, he, he boiled down the cause of divorce to one word last week in Matthew chapter 19, and that was hard. He said, the reason that you guys get divorced is because of the hardness of your hearts. Number three, we talked about how people commit adultery, yes, but they don't have to live in adultery. So dear friend, the blood of Jesus... On that Roman cross, it does forgive all sin. It forgives all sexual sin, adultery, divorce, all of it. And for you to receive that forgiveness, confess your sin as sin and uh, make Jesus the Lord of your life. Number four, we talked about how marriage was not designed for happiness, but for holiness. If we're looking to our spouse to fulfill this God-sized hole in our hearts... We're going to be disappointed and frustrated, aren't we? No matter how wonderful and godly our spouse is, they will never be able to fill that God-sized heart, hole in your heart. And then lastly, we did something really fun at the end of the sermon, and we looked at the ancient Hebrew, right? We looked at the ancient Hebrew word pictures for man and woman, ish and ishal, and we saw how those things, husband and wife together, and how our differences reveal the glory of God. Well, 
we're all going to be glad here, I think, that uh, Jesus changes the subject as, as he continues preaching the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Today, Jesus is going to teach us the value of honesty, integrity. He's going to focus on making promises and keeping those promises and telling the truth. I think the timing of today's sermon is important because we live in a world where truth is scarce. We've all been lied to, and we've all lied. We're all liars. Uh, we've all made promises at some level, broke them. And today, Jesus, he's going to use the scribes and the Pharisees as an example of what not to do when making promises and keeping your word. So how does all this impact you today? Well, in every single way. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word, and let's find out here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 and following. Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And that's the word for River Bible Church this morning. Please be seated. Thank you. So let's dive in here, verse 33. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors. So Jesus continues his mode of teaching by saying, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. So Jesus, he continues to teach in this fashion because he's revealing to the disciples that the scribes and the Pharisees, they have taught them on these very, very important issues right, of anger and murder, marriage, adultery, divorce, and now telling the truth, all of these things, what the scribes and the Pharisees taught you, that's not from Scripture. The, the scribes and the Pharisees' interpretation of God's Word was not God-centered. It was man-centered. I mean, sure, they, they had elements of Scripture in there. The scribes and the Pharisees, what they did is they lowered the perfect standards of God, by ultimately creating a religion that's based on human works. So when Jesus says, I say to you, he's not teaching something new here. What he's doing, he's, he's pointing back and teaching the law as it was first given. He continues in verse 33, he says, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. An oath is somewhat archaic language for us today. Uh, so let me define that so we're all on the same page here. An oath is a formal promise that usually invokes God as a divine witness. An oath is a formal promise usually invoking God to witness what you're getting ready to say. So a description of an oath is given in the book of Hebrews here, Hebrews 6.16. The writer says, for people swear by something greater than themselves and for them, a confirming oath, it ends every dispute. 
So it, it was common in the first century for a person to make an oath, to make this promise on someone or something greater than himself. Uh, throughout scripture, we see people do that, this with the altar, even the high priest, uh, they do it with God. But once that oath was made, the argument was settled. It was over because it was then assumed that whoever made the oath was going to keep it. This promise was so serious that they would call upon God to witness the oath. So if you broke the oath, you could expect divine retribution and, and punishment. So that's the first century. That's what they did back then. What about the 21st century? What about now? Well, if you got married in a, in a Christian church, you took an oath in the presence of friends and family. The Lord God Almighty, He was a divine witness to your marriage. Gentlemen, pastor said something like this. Well, you have this woman to be your wife, to live together in holy matrimony. Will you comfort her? Will you keep her in both sickness and in health, forsaking all others as long as you both shall live? And what'd you say? You said, I do. <laughs> Ladies, pastor asked you the same question. These vows are timeless, right? They're witnessed by God. So God is a witness even when people run off to Vegas and get married by Elvis. <laughs> He's still there. He still witnessed the whole thing. Believer and non-believer, God is a witness to our marriages. Biblical marriages. Another common oath today is when we go to court. If you haven't been to court to give some type of testimony, you've at least seen the drama unfold on television, right? Put your right hand up, left hand on the Bible. I do solemnly swear that the testimony that I'm about to give is the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So help me God, right? Why the formality? Why all the drama? Well, because we're all born liars. Scripture says this. Psalm 58.3 Liars wander about from birth. I mean, we've dealt with liars even before the fall of Adam and Eve because Satan started this whole thing off and lied to Eve, right? Genesis 3, 4. Satan says, you're not going to die. They did die. He lied. Adam and Eve's son, Cain, he lied to God. Genesis 4, 9, the Lord said to Cain, hey, hey, Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know. So he lies to God and encops an attitude at the same time. Abraham's wife, Sarah, she also lies to God. Genesis 18, verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were getting old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. She said, after I am worn out, and my Lord, my husband is old. Will I have delight? Will I have a delight in bearing a child? But the Lord asked Abraham, hey, why did, why did, your, wife, why did your wife, Sarah, why did she laugh? Why did she really say, can I really have a baby when I am old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? 
at the appointed time, I'm going to come back. In about a year, she's going to have a baby. She's going to have a son. And Sarah denied it. She's like, ah, no, I, I didn't laugh. I was just kidding. But she laughed because she was afraid. And then the Lord calls her out on it. He goes, no, you did laugh. I heard it. We got Jacob's sons. They, they lie to their father after they sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Genesis 37, 31. They took Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a male goat, and they dipped the robe in its blood. So look at all the premeditation that goes in, into this lie. They sent the long-sleeved robe to their father, and they said, hey, Dad, we found this. Look at it. Is this your son's robe or not? His father recognized it. He said, it is my son's robe, and a vicious animal has devoured him. Joseph has been torn into pieces. And on and on we go, all through Scripture, right? Samson lied to Delilah. Uh, Judges chapter 16, we've got King Saul. He lies to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. King David lied to Elimelech, the priest, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Job's friends lied to him, Job chapter 13. Uh, Peter lied during Jesus' trial in Matthew chapter 26. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they lied to Peter and the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5. So once again, we, we fast forward from the first century to the 21st, and nothing has changed, has it? Every day, whether it's in our own lives, whether it's on the news, social media, we hear about somebody lying. Why is that? Because the whole world system is based on lies. Scripture tells us that even though God is sovereign, Satan is working the world system. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar because he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So all of these oaths, these formal promises then, what they are, it's a custom, it's a protocol designed to restrain lies. It is to prevent false promises. So the reason that we have to sign a contract to buy a house or buy a car is because we don't trust one another. The days when a man's word or his bond, those days are over. Nobody believes anybody. Even children recognize this. Remember, the conversa remember this kind of conversation on the, on the playground? Hey, do you swear? I swear. Do you swear with your hand on the Bible? I swear with my hand on the Bible. Do you swear with your hand on a stack of Bibles? I swear, right? Do you cross your heart and hope to die and stick a needle in your... Who thought that one up? <laughs> Going to stick a needle in your eye. Wow. Or maybe your, your, your kids will say something. Hey, do you promise, Dad? Do you promise? You promise to take me out for ice cream? Now, why is your child asking you to make a promise? Because somewhere along the way, you told him about ice cream, but never delivered. 
And he's got that right back here, doesn't he? Something got in the way. You had to work late. Something came up. Whatever the excuse, the child realizes that adults, they, what they say may or may not come true. So their request for a promise is a testimony against us, isn't it? It proves that a child cannot trust his father's word. So when she says, do you promise, what, she's, what she is asking is, dad, do you mean it? Can I count on you? Can I trust you this time? So oaths and promises and contracts and, and vows, they, they've got two main goals. Number one, from a practical perspective, it motivates people to keep their word. Number two, from a spiritual perspective, it is to lessen the impact of faith, of sin, excuse me. From a spiritual perspective, it is to lessen the impact of sin. So let's look at our, our text back in Matthew here, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. So the question is, now keep in mind, I know we're going really slow through the Sermon on the Mount, but keep in mind who Jesus is, is speaking to. He's speaking to his disciples. So where did the, the disciples hear this statement? Well, Jesus is providing really a composite of commands here based on three Old Testament passages. The first one is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. So in other words, when you break a promise, you defile and you pollute God's reputation. Second passage, Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Thirdly here, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. If you make a vow to the Lord, do not be slow to keep it. Because he's going to require it of you. And if you don't keep it, it's going to be counted against you as sin. So pause. Have you ever considered that breaking your promise is a sin? Have you ever thought about that? By taking a vow or, or making a promise here, we are appealing to God as a witness to what we are saying to somebody else. Meaning that if we don't make good on our word, God is going to discipline us. For an unbeliever, God will judge him. So the stakes are high, right? This is serious stuff. So the question becomes, well, wait a second, is it even wise to make a promise? Is this really a good idea? Well, Jesus continues in verse 34. He says, I tell you, don't take an oath at all either by heaven because it's God's throne or by the earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. So time out. What just happened? What, what on earth is Jesus talking about here? Well, the rabbis, they had, they had written volumes about the various types of oaths and vows and promises that Jewish people could take. Some of these vows were binding Others were not. And this collection of vows really, it really decayed into all this legal nonsense here. 
Jesus is cutting through all the gibberish, all the, le- all the legalese. He's correcting, once again, the superficial false teachings regarding these promises. So let's slow, down, let's slow down here because this is really important for us today as Christians. Verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Just don't do that. Now, how simple is that? Don't you love simplicity? Jesus is saying that if you, if you want to stay out of trouble here, don't make any promises. Now, does that mean that Jesus is, is saying that we are not to take a vow in marriage? Is he saying that we, we're not supposed to take an oath when we go to testify in the court of law? No, he's not saying that. Um, to believe that and to apply that to your life, that would be heresy. So, dear friend, we don't want to do that. And the reason that it would be heresy is because you have to look at the rest of Scripture. Abraham made an oath in Genesis chapter 24. His son Isaac made an oath in Genesis chapter 26. Jacob, Isaac's brother, made an oath in Genesis chapter 31. King Saul's son, Jonathan, he makes an oath to to David in 1 Samuel chapter 20. King David makes an oath in 2 Samuel, so the list goes on and on and on. And Jesus did the same thing. Under oath, Jesus declared himself to be the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me show you this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. The high priest said to Jesus, he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. So God is now the witness to this. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of of God. And Jesus says, you've said it. In other words, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Now notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, well... You know, Caiaphas, it appears you missed my Sermon on the Mount where I taught my disciples not to take an oath. Maybe you should buy that, that tape for 1995. He didn't say that, did he? Jesus didn't condemn Caiaphas in any way. Jesus answered the question while he was under oath, standing before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the, the Supreme Court, the Jewish Supreme Court which means that the question was a perfectly legitimate question from Caiaphas. Now, let's not forget the the promises that God also made from the very beginning. If if we just look at the the entire counsel of God, we've got two sections in in our Bibles, don't we? We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible is God's testimony. God is our witness. God himself has made several promises to his people. He made a promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. This promise deals with the redemption of God's people. God made a a promise to Noah. It's called the Noahic covenant. And and this promise deals not only with God promising never to judge the the world again with a flood, but it also provides a a stable world uh, for us to live in so that God's work of redemption can be accomplished. God made a promise to Moses. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. This promise sets the nation of Israel apart to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant of redemption. And God also made a promise to King David. It's called the Davidic Covenant. 
And this deals not only with God's kingdom on earth, but this is an eternal kingdom. This is an everlasting kingdom where Christ is king. So once again, we're living in the, the New Testament, the new covenant, this covenant of God's grace. So why did all these people, including Jesus, why did they make these vows? Two reasons. Number one, because in a world of dishonesty, an oath is sometimes necessary to add a level of seriousness and validity to the subject matter. And number two, an oath also guarantees the outcome, doesn't it, of the promise itself. So once again, like a contract, you buy something, you're promising that you're going to make those payments. Back to our text here in verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne or by the earth because it's his footstool or even by Jerusalem because that city is the city of the great king. Well, we're used to hearing people say things like this all the time. Well, I I swear to God, right? The Jews avoided using God's name because they deemed it too holy. So instead of saying something like, well, I swear to God, what they did is they substituted God's name with something else. And when they started to do this, the Pharisees started using all kinds of tricks to sidestep the truth here. They would avoid using the holy name of God. They would replace it with something, something else that was less valuable than God, but more important than themselves. Appealing to heaven, earth, Jerusalem, what it did is it made their promises less binding than it was for for God. So at the end of the day, really what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing here, they were acting like little children who made certain promises, but they've got their fingers behind their back crossed. These rabbis concocted this really, really complicated system of promises, and it really defeated the whole purpose of making a promise in the first place. They taught that their vows might or might not be binding depending on how they proclaim the promise. So what Jesus is talking about here is this. If somebody swore by Jerusalem, it wasn't binding. But if they swore towards Jerusalem, it was. If somebody swore by the temple, it wasn't binding. But if he swore by the temple's gold, ah, now it is. If somebody swore by the altar, that wasn't binding. But if, so, if someone swore by the gift that's on the altar, it was. Everybody on track with me there? Makes no sense whatsoever. And what Jesus does, it's so beautiful. He says, stop it. Y'all stop it. Just cut out the nonsense here. Whatever you swear by, however you choose to make or word your promise, that invokes the retribution of a holy God. Why is that? Because Because it's God's throne you're talking about. Heaven is God's footstool. Jerusalem is God's city. In other words, everything points back to God. Jesus really is exposing the hair-splitting distinctions by the rabbis here. 
and talk about hair splitting, look at verse 36. He says, don't even swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. Some people swore by their own heads, meaning, you know, may I lose my head? May I lose my life if what I'm not saying is true? Or may I lose my life if I don't fulfill this promise? Uh, You don't want to do that either. Jesus points out that nobody can change the intrinsic color of his hair. Now, we can color it today. I get that. But you still have to go back and get it recolored, right? It is God who is in charge of every hair that's on your head. Verse 37, Jesus says, look, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Wow. Think about that. This is, this is from the, anything more than that is from the evil one. So when we as Christians, when we don't keep our word, we look more like Satan than our Savior. Dang. Oaths and vows are to be used only on important occasions and given only in the name of the Lord. So Jesus summarizes oaths and vows and promises directly, concisely in verse 37. Now, have you guys noticed that whenever someone talks and talks and talks and talks and talks, he just becomes less and less believable because he's just running his mouth? The Word of God has a lot to say about that as well. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. He is discerning. He is wise. The one who zips it, right? He is a wise man. So Jesus condemns anyone who makes a a promise flippantly. There are many people who make these kind of rash promises in Scripture as well. King Saul did it. He made this thoughtless oath regarding his military troops in battle. 1 Samuel chapter 14. That oath almost got his own son killed, Jonathan. King Herod, remember this one? He made an oath. He made an oath while he was intoxicated. Is that his, his own birthday party? And that oath got John the baptizer killed. The Apostle James says this, and I find this amazing. Because at the end of this epistle, and I love the book of James, love it. James says this, chapter 5, verse 12. He says, above all, above all. My brothers and my sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath. Don't do that. Let your yes mean yes. Let your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. James says, above all, everything, everything else that I've just said, this is, more, this is the most important. And if you've read the book of James, you know how important this epistle is. I find this amazing. James is saying, don't make a rash promise. Why is this so important? Key point number one for us this morning. Failure to keep our word is a sin. Failure to keep our word 
is a sin. James is reiterating what Jesus is saying here. There's no need for a Christian to make an unnecessary promise. As Christians, our word is our bond. Our word alone ought to be as reliable as uh, without making any kind of promise. A simple yes or no, that should suffice. A disciple of Jesus, our words, man, they should be so reliable that nobody asks for more. Now, there is a place for taking oaths and vows, but it's only under particular circumstances. Um, we're not required to make promises, but whatever you promise, you better do it. If someone asks us to make a promise, we can, we can just say, you know what, I'm going to do my best on that, but I'm not going to promise you anything. So, on everything else, though, Christians should be known. We should be known for keeping our word. Your work is your pulpit. What you say you're going to do, we are to do. Our word should not even require a handshake. Well, I wanted to finish today's sermon by really submitting a personal plea to you guys. Um, because there's lots of, iron, it's an ironic uh, place where we find ourselves with oaths and promises and vows. Unfortunately, and, and really tragically, church life is one area where we as Christians, we don't keep our word well. For example, we sign up for Bible studies, and we don't come. And this is after we've bought the books for you. We sign up to bring treats for fellowship, and we forget. Which not only makes church people very angry after the service, <laughs> but someone else has to go to Safeway and get some stuff. We sign up to volunteer for the cleaning team or the welcoming team or the whatever team. And we don't show up. Man, we don't even call. We don't even send a text, which means really that we don't even care. Now, dear friends, I want you to care. I do. And I want you to serve. And if you're not serving, you're not experiencing God and you're missing out. And that's another, that's another sermon for another day. But please understand, my plea to you is this. Look, River Bible Church, as small as we are, is no different than any, any other church. We've got less than 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. And when people don't do what they said they were going to do, it impacts the rest of us. It forces other people who are already stretched to be stretched even more. And the whole body, the whole church suffers because of this. If the pastor... If the elders, if the deacons, if they have to do everything, something's wrong with the church. The church is not healthy. The church will get sick. The pastoral staff is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, right? Ephesians 4.12. Lastly, if you're a member of, of River Bible Church, 
membership. That's, that's another sermon for another day as well. Um, but if you're a member, you've made a promise. This is one of those times to where you make a promise. You make a vow. This is a covenant. Um, you've made a promise to serve the people of the Verde Valley. And I just want to read part of the covenant as we end today. It says that I understand that as a member of River Bible Church, I am to share in the responsibility of the church by attending regularly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. So we don't just come to church to to listen and to take and to take and to take, do we? No, our job is to learn the word of God by the spirit of God, to encourage others, we, we are to come to experience God verse by verse. Why? So, so we can go back out and share Jesus day by day. Our end goal is to fulfill the, the Great Commission. The end goal is not to just put this on your, your, your calendar once a week. We are to live a pure life. Philippians 127. We've been ta- Jesus has been talking about purity for how long we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. The past three or four months? (laughs) He always goes straight to the heart. We are to live a pure life. We are to pray for for church growth. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That doesn't refer to necessarily this church growing. The church. The church in the Verde Valley. We are to pray for um, our unbelieving Friends, uh, we are to invite the unchurched to attend. Um, that, that's why we train and that's why we teach. That's why we, we show the, the three circles videos again and again every Sunday before we, we even begin. It's part of the training to be able to invite people to church. We are to warmly welcome those who visit Romans chapter 15. We are not to be in our holy huddles. Before church starts, only talking to the people that we know. No, we are to warmly visit them. And if you haven't been warmly visited today, if you're new, please come see me and I will go talk to some people. (laughs) I know some people. We are to discover our gifts and our talents one of the reasons that we, uh, the, the foundations class is the starting point for the church is, is so that you know what your gifts are. God has given you gifts. He's given you a new heart. He's given you a new life. He's given you an eternal life. And he's given you a specific gift to serve the church with and to serve the Verde Valley with. We are to serve faithfully. And that's going back to today. Let our yes be yes, our no mean no, and the tithe financially. So dear friends, all that to say this, what you say matters, right? We as as Christians, we are people of the book, and we are people of of our word as well. Father in heaven, thank you very much for showing us the importance of what comes out of our mouth. Thank you for teaching us that we don't have to make promises on the smaller issues. 
On the bigger ones, yes. And those things are serious. And thank you for teaching us how to do that. And Lord, I, I pray that we, as we leave today and we, we start to fellowship and talk with one another, engage with one another, meet some new people today. That we, we look back in the rearview mirror of our, our life and, and we strive to take a one step forward in this area of being honest and truthful and making promises and saying what we're going to but what we say is what we're going to do. Thank you for clarifying that for all of us. And may we be known as people of, of not only your word, but our word as well. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.